Okay, well, like I just prayed, we want to make sure we're in our Bibles today. So if you don't have a Bible, I'd love for you to slip your hand up and then we'll bring you a Bible. Okay, if you don't own a Bible, you can keep this one or we can get one to you. Um, But just keep your hand up. We'll get you a Bible. want to make sure that we're literally on the same page, right? Um, I didn't just write a bunch of notes this week about what I think and then I'm going to just explain to you like a blog. Uh, We're going to turn to the Word this morning, so... Get a copy of your word, download it on your smartphone, your app, whatever you need to do. We'll be together in the word this morning, okay? Um, last week we, we looked at 1 Peter 3.15, and we're going to be here again today. 1 Peter 3.15, way toward the back of the Bible. Okay? And in that passage, Peter tells us, you know, when people ask you and they dig a little bit about this hope that you have, be ready to make a defense and to give them a reason. Now, we talked about last week is no one's going to ask you that if you don't live a life that's hopeful. No one's going to ask you that if you live incognito Christianity. You're a 007 believer, you know. You're like a spy for Jesus. And you only wear the Christian you know, stuff outwardly in church. No, live loud out there so that it bothers people. Not to be obnoxious, but because it rubs against the grain of culture. And it just naturally prompts a question like, well, why do you act like that? Or why do you do that? We respond like this and you respond like that. What, are you holier than us? What's your deal? Um, they're going to ask questions. But sometimes those questions will come served on a silver platter, I call it, the evangelistic opportunity where it's like a silver platter, like, I'm so broken, I had a bad dream last night, or I, I heard a preacher or something, and I just am broken. Can you please tell me how to have Jesus? That's like, that's awesome, right? Most people won't come to you like that. When they ask you, what's up with this hope that you have, it's not like, I want that too. Deep down inside, they want that too. But they can't get over these antagonizing questions that they have, the questions that bother them, okay? That's kind of what we're going after with the faith Q&A. And when they articulate those questions, they kind of, kind of go after you most of the time. And they're questions that aren't easy. They're questions that are difficult. They're not dumb. They're smart questions. They're tough questions that we need to grapple with. They come at you and they say something like, What's, what's up with all these wars that are committed in the name of religion? What's up with all the wars? What's up with that? Some of them in the name of Christianity. Isn't Christianity suppo- supposed to produce peace? You call Jesus Prince of Peace? What's with all the wars? What's with all the atrocities? You know, they come to you and they ask you, um, why are there so many hypocrites? You know, we, you go to church and you crack open a Bible and you read about how to live, and Jesus supposedly makes you this way, and you're a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to be like Jesus, act like Jesus. But man, I run into a lot of Christians, and they don't act like Jesus. What do you say? Well, Jen, follow me then. You've been following the wrong Christian. How do you respond to that? The hypocrisy of church. The church that burned them, and they won't come back to church now. They'll tell you Christians are pompous for saying Jesus is the only way. What do you mean Jesus is the only way? There's millions and billions of people out there that don't believe in Jesus, but they're smart, they're good, 
They work hard. They help their neighbor. They try to, they, they basically live out the golden rule. I mean, they, they're helping. There's only one way. There's many paths. Aren't there many paths to heaven, to God? What do you say to that? No, my way. How do you respond to that? They say, you know, I have a friend. They'll pull out a story. They say, my friend, he was a good guy. And they'll give you the resume. He was, you know, the army veteran. You know, he, you know, um, he saved people, pulled people out of the line of fire. Now he's a, he's a fireman, and he just saved the family last week. You know, he gives half of his money to the poor and does all kinds of stuff. And he's got cancer. I have another friend. He's a gangbanger. He shoots people, whatever, blah blah. But he hasn't been caught. He's making money, and he's got all kinds of things. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. I don't know. Just uh, listen to the sermon online. Goodbye. You know, what do you say? What do you say to that? Now, Peter in this verse gives us a command. It's an imperative. In 1 Peter chapter 3. We looked at the immediate context of this. So today we're going to kind of surgically dive into verse 15. It says, in your hearts, I have no fear of them. At the end of verse 14, people that will persecute you, seek to harm you, maybe verbally lash you, or if they have the opportunity, maybe even officially with government sanction, harm you physically. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Verse 15, but don't be quiet either. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And you can't do that by being quiet. Why? Because when you, people ask you questions, it says, always be prepared to make a defense anyone who, for, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Especially Peter, who probably had a problem doing that until he really got things right. Um, do it with gentleness and respect. So someone asks you for the reason for the hope that you have, you're to make a defense and give them your reason. You give them a reason. Okay? That's a little bit more than, well, I grew up and I was at camp and it was a really awesome campfire and it was just really nice and I knew it would please my grandma, so I prayed Jesus into my heart. No, that's, that's not a reason. Actually, the Greek word behind reason is to give an accounting. Give an account. Give a report. Explain. And especially put together with the word defense, they're both legal terms. And so Peter, using the word defense, using the word to give an account, he's, he's, he's conjuring up an image of being in tri- on trial. You're going to be put on the witness stand. Okay? And your little cute memes with Jesus and a little cute saying in the bottom, that's not going to fly. An embroidered pillar with your favorite verse, no good. What is your reason? Explain to me why you have that hope. Please give me something more than I grew up in church. Please give me something more than because I just look at the clouds and it's just so awesome and I just, I love Jesus. Give give me a reason. And Peter's saying, give it to them. Now, I don't know about you, but what's frustrating is I keep reading and it's like with gentleness and respect. Yes, yes, with gentleness and respect. What do I say though? Have a good conscience. Okay, thanks, Peter. Uh, so that we're not slandered, slander, so that they're put to shame, okay? Verse 17, it's better to suffer for doing good. I get it. And you keep reading and you're like, 
Where's the apologetics 101? Like, what do I say? He's like, give a defense and give them a reason. But as you read this verse, he's not explaining what that reason is. Right? So I'm just being honest with you. I'm, I'm studying this verse. A lot of us have it memorized. And we don't know what in the world he means by give a reason. Does this mean, you know, give, uh, I don't know, go take an apologetics class at a seminary and then regurgitate your notes from that class? Is that what Peter has in mind? I mean, a lot of these guys, you know, these philosophers and stuff, they weren't around yet. I don't know if Peter knew the cosmological argument. (laughs) Give them the ontological argument. That's a good one. I keep the cosmology in the back pocket. These aren't even categories that Peter's dealing with. But give a reason. Give a defense. What is he talking about? Well, if your kids ask you to tuck them in with a little story, and you're going to give them a short one because you're tired and you want to go to bed, and you lay them down and you say, all right, kids, you ready? I'm going to give you a story. It's a really good one. Everybody knows this story. And when you mention it at school, they all know it. Okay. Jill came tumbling after. Good night. You know, problems, right? Who's Jill? What in the world are you talking about? Tumbling. What is that? Like a Tumblr blog? Well, what, is, what is tumble? What do you mean she tumbled? After who? After what? After something happened? After someone else? Well, to give the answer, you have to go backward to get the context. You don't give somebody one line. You give them the whole story, right? You don't uh, buy tickets to see a movie and then just wait around eating popcorn, and when the person tells you there's 15 minutes left, then go in and see the end. You'll be confused. So you have to tell there's Jack and Jill, right? And, And they went up a hill. We don't know why they went up hill. Yes, we do. To fetch a pail of water. They're thirsty. They got to feed their family. And there's a well up on a hill that everybody shares. They go up. But Jack was the first one to slip. Fell down. Broke his crown. And Jill came tumbling after. Now, when they ask you for the moral of the story, that's where I draw a blank because I have no idea. Don't go up hills. I don't know. (laughs) At least ten monkeys jumping on the bed is a direct parallel to, you guys are monkeys, stop jumping on the bed. (laughs) But context, context, gives the meaning to the last line, to every line. Our problem is we take a verse like this and we just quote it. Oh, give a defense. Always give a defense. What is Peter talking about? I want to go to two verses in this epistle, in this letter, where he mentions hope. And both of them come before this verse. The first one is in chapter, they're both in chapter 1. The first one is in verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. Are we there? All right. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that exclamation mark we put there. According to his mercy. According to his what? According to his mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What kind of hope? A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, did you miss where he said hope? We have a living hope. What do you mean a living hope? What other kind is there? There's a lot of other kinds of hope. There's dead hope. Like your friend who keeps spending, you know, so much of his budget on lottery cards. And you're like, dude, spend that time doing something else, man. Get a job, you know? I don't know. 
All right, now I'm going on a tangent, guys. I'm like, Pastor, I have a job, and I get lottery tickets. All right. Um, a living hope as opposed to a dead kind of hope. You know, your team is 38 games out of first place. Your hope is dead. I'm sorry. You know, September, right? You can hope. You can wish. There's such thing as wishful thinking. But that's not hope. And what Peter's saying is there's something specific about Christianity that makes our hope alive and vibrant and true. And the other clue that he gives us in this passage, why in that verse, why it's alive, is because it's been given to us according to his great mercy. When something is done for you by mercy, it means you deserve something else and you got this instead. That's mercy. Now, in the Christian context, right, what we deserved was death. But we don't get death. We don't get what we deserve. We get something else. We get life. That's something specific to Christianity that makes our hope a hope that's alive versus someone else's hope, a hope that's dead. Why? Because their hope is not based on mercy. Their hope is based on what they can do. It doesn't matter what their worldview. Put all the worldviews on a, on a poster board and then blindfold me. Don't spin me around because I'll miss the board. But I'll just point to any one of them. And it doesn't matter which one I point to. At the end of the day, it's works-based. You know, you go on the karma cycle until you eventually get out of it. When do you get out of it? Nobody knows. You worship Allah. You do your five things a day. And even the most devout Muslim, if he's true to the teaching of the Quran, and you ask him, are you sure, though? At the end of the day, it's just if he wants it or not. But, but there's, no, there's no sureness to it. Why? Because it's based on how well did I do it. Did I mean it when I did those five? When I prayed and I put the carpet, did I mean it in that moment? Or was I distracted? Mm, did that count? Because it's based on what you do. What, what Peter's saying is, man, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Why am I so excited about saying that? Because we're saved and we're given a living hope according to his great mercy not according to what I deserve. It's the opposite of what I deserve. That's what's so awesome about this hope. Check this. According to his great mercy, verse 3, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. Who caused us to be born again? He caused us to be born again. No one's going to stand in front of Jesus and he's like, why should I let you in? Man, because I, I born myself again. No one's in control of being born. Some mothers feel like it you know you're like it's past the clock what are they doing like i'm not going anywhere you know and they stall (laughs) or they're like i'm here early and you're like oh my goodness get the incubator you know that stuff but no one's in control of their birth i'm gonna have blue eyes i'm gonna come out on december 3rd you know no one's in control of birth that's why it's such a powerful analogy for what happens to you spiritually you're on your way you're on your way and you're doing your own thing and god just comes and does something to you and Peter's saying, I would just be on a boat still fishing and be a complete lost, angry person if Jesus didn't come and point me out and say, come over here, follow me. He caused it. He prompted it. Okay? And therefore, it's by grace. It's not by what we earn. This is the grand distinction between Christianity and every other worldview, is that it's completely by grace. And so it's amazing. How sure is it when it's by grace? Verse 4. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered death. He conquered that death we deserve. 
so that he can give us the mercy that we need, the grace that we need. Verse 4, we get an inheritance that is imperishable. It lasts forever. It's undefiled. There's no bad parts to it. Why? Because Jesus purchased it. Jesus doesn't have to wonder if he prayed the right prayer or if he lived the right life or was he distracted. No, he was never distracted. He never dishonored the Lord. He never dishonored the Father. And so what he purchased for us is perfect. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. No other worldview can say that if it's based on works. Because you never know what your works produce. Let's look at another spot. Drop your eyes down to verse 13. This will be a little quicker because it's sort of a reiteration. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... Remember, our question is, what kind of hope? What's the difference between our hope and everyone else's hope? What kind of reason do we have for our hope? Verse 13, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the what? On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when we see Jesus fully, and on that day when we're going to be glorified and finally released from even the presence of sin, we enter into God's rest by grace. We don't, we don't pull out resumes, guys. Here, here, Jesus, here, I hope I'm on your nice list. I wasn't too naughty. Were you ever naughty? Yes. Then don't do this because you're dead. You have to say, this was me, but Jesus took that account. And you show him a different paper, which was what Jesus' account was, and say, this is my credit score now. It's a swap. Your bad account went to Jesus. Jesus' perfect account went to you. God decided to do that swap. Jesus took the death you should have died after living the life that you couldn't live, and the swap was available. That's total grace. It's not grace plus something else. It's not God gave me a lift and I have to work the rest. It's grace. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't be able to make blanket statements like this. So we're saved by grace alone, and that's our hope. That is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. To know there's a heaven, to know that there's an afterlife, to know that God wants us to be with him and that there's a way for that to happen. Jesus paved the way through his death and then resurrection. Couldn't stay dead. He rose again to conquer death to pave the way for us. Good spot for an amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. So as you read this letter, he makes it really clear our living hope is because it's by grace. It's because it started with mercy. Verse 13 Set your hope fully on what? Fully on grace. Not partially on grace. Fully on grace. It's all by grace. It's all what you did not deserve but got it anyway. That's why your hope is alive. That's why your hope is sure. That's why your hope is imperishable. Your salvation is by grace and your salvation is by grace alone. So you're on trial. You go to work. You go to school. You leave here. You meet somebody for lunch and they put you on trial and they ask you, why do you have this hope? Why are you a Christian? Why do you go to church? Get to the real issue. And the real issue isn't stem cells. The real issue isn't DNA particles. The real issue isn't show them a diagram of an eye. You know? The real issue is hope. Because they have none. Call them out on it and be ready to defend it. Explain to them why there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. You can never be good enough. You you can never be perfect enough. You need a mediator. You need a substitute. You need someone to go and take what you deserve for you so that you can have access to the Father. And then you prepare yourself to explain.
So what does that look like when the tough topics come up? When they say wars were caused by religion. Some wars were caused by Christianity. Okay. All right. You take that topic. You might say something like, well, historically, have there been wars caused by atheistic worldviews? If they say no, then maybe point them to a couple. So wars are caused by all kinds of things. The difference is that when a war is caused by someone claiming Christianity, they have to do it against what Christianity teaches. If someone who's atheist starts a war or does some atrocity, they're doing it in accordance with what atheism teaches. You know why? Because atheism can't put any value on human life. You're here, you're matter plus chance plus time, and you popped into existence. How do you establish human value out of that? Therefore, there's no human value. So what's the difference if I kill you? In fact, you talk about survival of the fittest. I was fitter than you, so I bombed you. What's your problem? I'm living out your golden rule. So we can point to Christians who supposedly do atrocities in the name of Christianity, but you can point them to the Bible and say, you're not living what's supposed to be. Atheists, it's living out their depressed worldview where there's no human value. Then you turn the table around. But there is human value. Because if there's a God, that means you were created. If Jesus died on the cross and is who he said he is, and he rose from the dead, if that's true, then all that he affirmed in the Bible is true. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He created you. And He Himself paved the way for you to be back with Him. That brings meaning to life, that brings meaning to purpose, and that's exactly what makes war atrocious. In a worldview where human life is valued, and then human life is snuffed out, why is that a problem? It's only a problem if there's intrinsic value in that life. And Christianity brings hope back. Because even if you're snuffed out, you know the Savior. No matter what happens to you, you can get that imperishable inheritance waiting in heaven for you, guaranteed, no matter what happens to you in this life. And Peter's writing this to suffering Christians. Right? And so you get to the issue that Peter wants you to get to. Hope. This is the only worldview where you'll find hope, where you'll establish hope, where hope is sure and hope is alive. They ask you, Aren't there different paths? Aren't there different paths to Jesus? Aren't there different paths to God besides Jesus? You say, well, that's impossible. They say, why? You say, because everyone else's path is based on works and Christian path is based on grace alone. So they can't both be true. Is it works or grace? You have to pick. If it's works, you're going to always live in spiritual paranoia wondering, do you make it? That's not a path. But if Christianity is true, it's been purchased for you and that's a sure and living hope. Bring them back to the issue of hope. I don't have to talk in detail about every religion that's out there. I just want to talk about the reason I have for the hope that I have. And the reason I have this hope is because it's sure and it's clear that he paved the way. Left to myself, I will never make it. It doesn't matter what other path I choose. I'll never do enough prayers. I'll never return karma enough. I'll never do that enough. I'll never make it. I know I need a mediator. You bring them back to grace so that they see that there's hope. What about hypocrites? You know, people in the church, they're supposed to live the life and then they, I meet Christians all the time and they don't, they don't live the life. You say, okay, well, nobody lives uh, perfectly 
according to their views. Even atheists, you know, you ask them where do they get their values and maybe they draw their values out on the board. And do you live that perfectly? No. So nobody lives perfectly what they say they believe. Okay. And the reason why is because there's something that's messed up inside of us. No matter how hard we try to be good or be consistent, there's something broken inside of us, right? You can call it whatever you want. In the Christian worldview, we call it sin. Now, the difference between Christianity and all the other worldviews is we have a way to fix that problem. We shouldn't be hypocrites. Everyone else is impossible for them to not be hypocrites, but Christians have a way, have access to something that can help us get better and help us be true and look forward to a time when we will be fully non-hypocritical. And that is the hope of the grace that we find in Jesus Christ alone. That hope is not available anywhere else. So you bring them back to hope. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Depends on how well you know them, how fast you want to cut to the chase. But what did Jesus say? They said, hey, good teacher. Hey, why do you call me good? Right? They're like, what? No one's good except God. You calling me God? I, I love Jesus. It's awesome. I want to be like him. No one's good. I mean, how do you define good? How do you define what's good? Once you define it, whatever your decision is, however you define it, do you live perfectly up to that standard? Do you live that perfectly? No. Nobody lives that standard perfectly. Therefore, the question should be reversed. Not why why do bad things happen to good people. We're really, on one level or another, maybe not as bad as the next person, but we're all bad people. The real question is why does good happen to bad people? And you have an answer. No one else does, but you have an answer. It's called grace. Why can, how can something good happen to somebody bad? Grace. That's how. Guess where grace is available? On the shelf of religions and the shelf of worldviews. Christianity. The salvation is by grace alone. Scripture is clear. And so you get out of the muck and mire of you know, tossing, slinging mud at each other and then getting into political discussions and all this stuff, just bring it back to hope. And I know I'm simplifying it and it might be more than a 10-minute lunch at Panera. It might be a long conversation, a long relationship that you're developing and you build trust with each other and you're able to gain their trust so that they see that you're sincere. You're not just trying to blast them with Christian arguments, but you're trying to get them down to look. The real issue is hope. The real issue is hope. We have living sure hope because our hope is based on grace. No one else does. You don't because your hope is based on what you can do. Are you good enough? Are you perfect enough? I know I'm not. I know I'm not. And so I lean on the grace that's only available in the cross. And so when we look at this, Peter's saying, when you're questioned about your hope, why do you have faith in the Christian worldview? Why do you have hope in Christian faith? Point them to grace because it's by grace. You ask them, what do you say when you get to heaven? And God says, why should I let you in? They flip the question on you. Don't fail your own question. Why does God let you in? I went to Sunday school. I had a 98% Sunday attendance this year. I gave money when the plate came by every time. At least 10%. Sometimes I get 15 Those are the kind of answers that people give that are going to the other place. 
Well, Lord, I, I cast demons out in your name. I did merry miracles in your name. I, you know, I prophesied in your name. I don't know you. And Jesus isn't looking for religiosity. He's looking for what the thief on the cross did next to him. Realize that we deserve to be here and this guy doesn't. Are you an idiot? Can't you tell? This guy doesn't deserve to be here and we do? Substitution. Will you remember me? Yes. But he didn't do anything. All he did was bad. Grace. They ask you, how come somebody who lives a really good life and last minute, you know, gets, he gets hit with a, uh, you know, maybe he says a cuss word or something and he gets killed and he goes to hell. The other guy lives, he's a serial killer, killing, raping, pillaging, doing all kinds of stuff. And on his dead, deathbed, last minute, he gives his life to Jesus. The first guy goes to hell, the second guy goes to heaven. How is that fair? It's not fair. It's called grace. Grace isn't fair. Grace is favor that you did not merit. Grace is something you get when you didn't deserve it. When somebody gives you a gift, it's grace because you go, oh my goodness, you didn't have to do that. But if you mow their lawn and they give you a check for the $10 that you agreed upon, which is pretty cheap, by the way, I don't know why I said $10. You don't go, oh my goodness, $10? Why did you do that? Like, what do you have, amnesia? We just talked about you're going to mow my lawn. That's something you earned. Grace is a gift that's free. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's free. And it's based on what Jesus did for you. I want to ask the worship team to come forward. And I just want to encourage you guys. Um, evangelism is never easy. Okay? It's never easy. But when we read passages like this and he's telling us, get out there, live a life that prompts questions, and then be ready to be able to answer those questions, we need to start learning how to articulate the basics of our faith. Peter is not asking his readers to go to seminary and read, you know, 3,000 pages a semester, okay? He's asking his readers to just understand the basic concept of the gospel. I deserve death and I don't get death. Why? Because of Jesus, if you can at least articulate that, you're ready to do apologetics and evangelism out there and start explaining to people why Christianity has a living hope, why Christianity has real hope. I'd like to invite you to stand with me and close in worship before we close in prayer together.